Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Our guest today is board-certified OBGYN and functional medicine specialist, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, who specializes in bioidentical hormones, gut restoration, and not to mention she lost a life-changing 100 pounds and healed herself from a chronic illness when she discovered a natural root cause resolution approach to creating health and well-being. It's an honor to have her here today. Kieran, welcome. So great to have you here. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be with you today. So before the podcast, we expressed our fondness for Morningside Heights. You grew up there and I went to college there at Columbia. And so it's great to connect with someone else who has such an appreciation for one of my favorite parts of New York City. Yes, it's, you know, it's still, it will always be home. You can take the um, the girl out of New York. You can't take the New York out of the girl. <laughs> For sure. So let's start. You have a pretty incredible personal health journey that led you to functional medicine and where you also experienced some pretty impressive weight loss. So can you talk about your health journey and the weight loss you experienced and and, and what you did and what you learned about yourself and and medicine in the process? Sure, Jason. So um, I was an OBGYN, delivered lots of babies, did pap smears, hysterectomies, all of that, and had a very successful practice. Um, And yet you could see that there was something wrong because I weighed 243 pounds at one point. And I also suffered with something called fibromyalgia where there's pain in the body in various places every day. I was tired all the time. I basically work and slept even though I was a wife and a mom. That's all I did was work and sleep. Um, I had depression and anxiety. At one point I was on five psychoactive medications. My hair was falling out. And I really looked and felt 20 years older than I was. And here I am board certified OBGYN. I'd run tests. I'd say, there's got to be something wrong with my thyroid. There's got to be a problem. And they would all come back, quote unquote, normal. And I would go to my internist. I'd say, there's got to be something wrong. And she would run tests and they'd all come back, quote unquote, normal. And I I just was very hopeless because all the tools that I had been taught to use weren't really restoring health. They weren't helping me lose weight or feel better. They sure they were like band-aids on symptoms. Um, but I really became disheartened when I think the last time I went to my internist, you know, she finally said, Kieran, stop with this. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need to eat less and exercise more, which I had tried. Believe me, I had tried every diet, calorie counting, prepared foods, exercising at the gym like crazy, right? Exercise bulimia. So I had tried all that and it didn't work um, for any sustainable period of time. And she said, just stop. There's nothing wrong with you. And I went home and I just cried because I said, you know, if this is what life is going to be. I don't know that I want to live it. I went into healing to help people and I can't even help myself, you know, kind of what good am I? And I felt very hopeless. And then um, through serendipity, one of my patients who was a midlife woman like me, having all the same problems, you know, crazy, irregular, painful periods. Here, I gave gave her a birth control pill because that's what I was taught to do. Couldn't sleep. Here's a sleeping pill. Here's an antidepressant, right? This is the the fistful of prescriptions that women are leaving their doctor's offices with by the time they're 40. It's a pill for every ill. 
And so I had done that with her. She wasn't really getting restored to vitality, which is what every woman wants. And she went away for a year. She came back. I saw her at the end of the hall and something was completely different. She had lost 30 pounds. Her skin was shining. Her hair was full. Her eyes were bright. So I ran up to her. I said, what did you do? And she said, I went to this doctor who practices this thing called functional medicine that I learned about in this book from Suzanne Summers, and I brought the book for you. And so I wish I could say that I, I took that book and read it voraciously and, and adopted what it said, but you know, I had a contempt prior to investigation because I thought I'm board certified OBGYN. What's Suzanne Summers, you know, Chrissy on Three's company gonna teach me? So I took it home and put it on my nightstand. I didn't read it for the longest time. And finally, one Saturday, which when I was in bed, which is where I was every Saturday, and my kids came in and said, you know, we're going to the movies. We'll, we'll be back. They didn't bother asking me anymore because they knew mom was working or she was in her pajamas in the bed. And I said, let me just pick it up and look at it so I can give it back to her, mark it off my to-do list and say I, I'm done. And the most amazing thing happened because it wasn't Suzanne giving anything about her opinion. It was just her interviewing doctors and scientists in this field I had never heard of called functional medicine. And everything that they related harkened back to all the, the beauty and complexity about the body and how it functions that I had learned in medical school, the biochemistry, the physiology. And they talked about tests that I had never used in mainstream medicine, like salivary cortisol and hormone testing and functional stool testing and food sensitivity testing. And they explained it so beautifully and clearly. I mean, we all have a truth meter. So my truth meter went off and I knew what they were saying was true because I had learned all that. But then I had been gone to residency and been told, don't worry about all that. Just give this drug and do this surgery because that's what we do. So I all of a sudden had hope that I could have better health and have a different life. And I decided that day I was gonna learn everything I could about functional medicine. And I actually started working with a naturopath. And even though I had checked my thyroid at least 10 times and it was quote unquote normal, when I did the right test for thyroid and I read them the right way, I was hypo or low thyroid. So then I could address that. I was also progesterone deficient. In OBGYN, there's no standard of care for checking a woman's hormone levels. So it wasn't something I had ever really done, except if someone was trying to get pregnant, right? Certain situations, we were taught to do that. I was progesterone deficient. And then when I learned about salivary cortisol testing, which has been used you know, by NASA, and it's been used in Europe for over 50 years, I was just a flatline cortisol, right? So that's your stress hormone. I was just surviving. I didn't have a disease by mainstream medical definitions because I wasn't in that top or bottom 2.5% with Addison's or Cushing's, but I had just enough cortisol to, you know, <laughs> run the machinery, but it was kind of like lights are on, no one's home. That's how I felt inside. And that was objective proof of what I was experiencing. So I had this just plethora of hormonal imbalances was the first thing I uncovered. And I started addressing them and I started having, feeling better, having more energy, started losing weight. And with all natural things, right? Vitamins, minerals, herbs, little diet and lifestyle change, no exercise, right? That wasn't even a part of my first 
treatment program. I didn't have that energy to exercise, you know, with stage three adrenal fatigue. So I just started then when I saw the proof is in the pudding, when you, you experience it yourself, there's no better experience than an N of one. That's you. So I said, oh my gosh, I got to learn more about this. And I learned about Life Extension Foundation, which Suzanne gave great resources on in her book. I went to one of their conferences. I learned about food sensitivity testing and stool testing. So I was like Hansel and Gretel following this breadcrumb trail. And I go to a conference. I learn about a test. I do the test on myself. I'd see what was abnormal. I'd treat it. And I just started getting better and better and better. And so after two years... Uh, I was literally unrecognizable. People would pass me at the mall and I'd say, hey, how you doing? And they'd just keep walking like as if they didn't know me. And then they'd get 10 feet past me and they'd turn around and say, Kieran, is that you? Oh my gosh, because I had lost 100 pounds. My hair grew back and I looked 20 years younger. So that really was my journey of transformation. And so you mentioned diet you know, herbs, minerals, supplements, lifestyle, like what, what were some of the changes specifically you made in terms of, of diet and herbs and minerals? I'm, I'm curious in this journey that helped you, you know, get back to, to you. Yeah. So I guess specifically the first thing I uncovered was the low thyroid. So I used, um, an, an animal base, basically it's a desiccated thyroid replacement to, to give my body what it wasn't making. And I don't know that that's always a necessary long-term treatment. Sometimes if, you know, there's a reason why your thyroid isn't functioning properly. So in functional medicine, I always say we're like toddlers. We're always asking why. So you're tired and your temperature's low and you're constipated and your hair's falling out. Why? Okay, first thing you find is your thyroid's low. Why? <laughs> you know, is it a problem with the brain not signaling the thyroid? Is it a problem with the thyroid not making the inactive form? Is it not making being converted into active form? Are the cells not receiving the message? So that was the first thing I started with. And then with the progesterone, you know, it's simple. Here, I was 47 at the time. Um, it's a simple thing to replace progesterone because your ovaries are the major producer of progesterone in a woman's body. And as your eggs get old and you don't have that many of them, which is a kind of uh, program senescence, you know, we're made that way. Um, you're you're really not going to be able to produce that. So you have to take it exogenously from outside. So replacing that was probably the second thing I did. And then with the adrenal fatigue, so some of the herbs that I used were ashwagandha, rhodiola, eleuthero, ginseng. These are, and vitamin C, very essential to adrenals. You can't store vitamin C and they need a constant supply to make cortisol. So this was, these herbs, you know, I think that God gave us plants and, and nature for a reason um, or meant to use it. And they speak to and have been used for thousands of years. Um, they speak to our bodies, a specific language that we don't understand, but they do. And so taking these herbs and taking, you know, vitamin C in particular was huge. I think at the beginning, I was taking like 14 grams of vitamin C a day in five divided doses. And you know, you have to figure out how much your body needs. And there's a specific test you can do to figure that out called you, you take it to bowel tolerance because if you have too much, you get loose stool, but you just back it off a little. So those were the main nutrients that I used and the main hormones. I'd say that was my first program. 
of um, nutrients and uh, botanicals. And, and then I also started using castor oil packs on my adrenal glands, which was something I had never heard of. And so I would put them back on uh, my lower back with a heating pad and I would do that 20 minutes a day. And I read uh, James Wilson's book on adrenal fatigue to really understand because, you know, here I've gone through eight years of medical training and practice as a physician for over a decade. And there's really no training about cortisol, except you need it to live. If it's, if it's in the top 2.5%, bottom 2.5%, you have Addison's or Cushing's. They're very rare. You don't really need to worry about that. That's basically all I was told about cortisol, the mother, you know, of all hormones that it determines our sleep wake cycle, our energy, our weight, our immune system function, whether we get cancer or not, whether we get autoimmune disease or not. It is so vital. And there's so many tools outside the toolbox I was initially given as an MD that can identify problems in that area and that can be used to nurture the adrenals and, and help them to function better and improve all aspects of health. So is the best cortisol test the saliva test you mentioned? And just like, how do people get a sense if someone's listening, they say like, oh, wait, that sounds like me. You know, how, how do I how do I test my cortisol level? How do I get them under control? What do you recommend? And I'm curious too. Like, do, does it vary in terms of life stage? Whether in your 20s, 30s, you're a woman is menopausal. Like, let's talk about that. So your cortisol really doesn't vary. Unlike your sex hormones, will change throughout your life cycle. Um, that it because a predominantly estrogen progesterone in a woman come from the ovaries. And so that, that, that is going to vary. Cortisol should not vary. It has a very, it has a diurnal pattern. It's higher in the morning because that's kind of what wakes you up. Um, it's like starting your car. It takes way more cortisol to get you going. And then it has to even out and it has to go down very low for you to sleep. And that's the same whether you're 20 or 60 or 80 or 10, it doesn't matter. You need this much cortisol to function optimally. Um, so how to test it is a great question. So ideally cortisol and your sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, these are all lipid based hormones. They're made from cholesterol. So they are fatty. So they're kind of like oil and your blood is water and everybody knows oil and water don't mix. So if you're in your blood, these hormones aren't just flea free floating around. They have to be carried around on carrier proteins. I call those FedEx trucks. So you can kind of do a test and you can see how many FedEx trucks you have um, but the problem is you don't know how many packages are in each FedEx truck. And also the packages are so rapidly sent from the FedEx truck into the cell that also has a fatty layer on it that it, they stay in solution for a, a nanosecond. So sometimes people say, well, I'll get around the FedEx truck issue by checking free and total. So you can get a ballpark, but better yet is to do salivary cortisol testing, which the saliva cells, the cells that make saliva 
have the same content of hormones as what's in all your cells in your body. So when you spit into a tube and saliva is collected and you get a measure of cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, you really know what your cells are seeing, which is ultimately what you want to get. So that is the best way to test them. Now, most doctors, it's not in their lexicon and in their toolbox to do salivary testing. I know before I learned about this, if you had mentioned it, in fact, there was a guy in our town who did this type of medicine and we all talked about him like he was a quack because we didn't understand, you know, and, and when you don't understand, you don't know the thing about physicians is we can have contempt prior to investigation, which is what I had. Um, so salivary testing is not in the toolbox of most doctors. If you can get your doctor to do a fasting AM in the morning, cortisol level in your blood, that would be a great place to start. It's going to give you a ballpark. You know, is it the whole picture? You really want four cortis uh, salivary cortisol tests, morning, noon, afternoon, and midnight. So you can see what your levels are because you could be great in the morning but at noontime, if you're tanked, you know, then that's something you need to know. As I drink my coffee. As you drink <laughs> coffee. So I would say to start with asking your doctor if they'll do that. There are a lot of doctors who are going to say, no, you don't need that. I'm not doing it. Your insurance isn't going to pay for it, which is a whole other conversation. Because, you know, if you want optimum health and you're looking to your insurance to provide that, you'll never get it. Um, it's like looking to your car insurance to provide you to, you know, have car washes and vacuuming and have a great car, right? It just, it doesn't do it. It's the same with your health insurance. They'll prevent catastrophe. So, um, some doctors are amenable to doing it, but you have to be careful when you get the results, when you read them by what the lab says is reference range quote or normal quote. You can be in the normal or reference range and you'll think that you're great, but you're not. So, and that's because the normal values or reference ranges in a given lab are defined by what 95% of the population has. Well, you can look around at the American population and see that we're not optimally healthy, right? 60% of us are overweight or obese. So do you want to be compared to those people and told, yeah, your cortisol's great, you're good, compared to someone who's obese? No, we don't want that. We want to be compared to someone who's optimally healthy, right? And so then you need to use optimal values. And it's going to depend on the lab. Um, but I'd say if you kind of pick in the upper two-third range, that would probably be the optimal cortisol for a given lab, then that would be a great ballpark. Better yet is to find someone who does the salivary cortisol testing and get your four points across your day, look at your total volume of cortisol output throughout the day, look at the distribution, also look at your DHEA, which is a backup hormone to cortisol, um, and look for those optimum values. You you There's no reason at 60, 70, 80, you shouldn't have the function and vitality that you had at 20. And if you're not having that level of vitality, then it's because you're not uncovering the causes of your fatigue, your weight gain, your health problems. It's not just a fact that, oh, as we age, we're going to get sick and tired and have no sex drive, right? It's there are reasons so looking at, for instance, the cortisol is looking at those root causes. 
those reasons. So you mentioned root cause and weight gain. How can someone tell if hormones is interfering with weight loss, causing them to gain weight? You shared this great post on your person, your Instagram about hormones causing keto fail, which I, I love. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So all weight loss occurs in a ketotic state by definition. So this, there's a lot of argument about, you know, what diet is best to lose weight. But the fact is to lose weight means, and we're trying to lose fat, not just weight. We don't want to lose muscle weight. You're going to open those fat cells, take the fat out. You're going to burn it for fuel. And as a byproduct of that, you create something called ketones. So you are in a state called ketosis. So if if you're going to lose weight by losing fat and burning it, you're going to be in ketosis. So that is the only state in which weight loss occurs. So, you know, I hope everyone listening can really hear that and, and then filter the arguments about diet for weight loss through that and know, hmm, if I'm going to lose weight, it is a ketotic diet. Okay. Um, but when it comes to your hormones, so you, it's interesting, you said, how would someone know that hormones are contributing? So I'd say the minute your weight becomes uncoupled from your diet and exercise quality and levels, your inputs and your outputs, you have to know that the number one reason they will be uncoupled is because you have a hormone imbalance. So what do I mean by that? So we're taught weight is, you know, your body is a, a bank account, like JJ Virgin says, right? <laughs> calories in minus calories out should equal your weight. But what a lot of people will notice, especially as they get older is, wow, I'm not eating that much. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of starving myself. <laughs> and I exercise regularly. And yet my weight is going up, or I'm not able to lose it. And the minute you see that, that uncoupling between your activity and your diet, the number one thought you need to have is, I have a hormone imbalance, period. And then you need to go about looking at, excuse me, what are the hormone imbalances that you have? Because they're kind of like ants. There's never just one. Uh, because your, your hormones all interact and work together like a symphony. So you can't... You know, nobody just has a thyroid problem, I promise you. There's always, all the other hormones have different degree of dysfunction if you have a thyroid problem. And same if you have a progesterone problem. All the hormones work together, they all interact. So if you're not losing weight, number one thought, I got a hormone problem. And then you got to look at, I call them the seven main metabolic drivers. So thyroid would be top on the list. So why is that? Thyroid is really your metabolic regulator. It's your battery pack. It sets the rate at which your body burns fuel for calories. And your two fuels are glucose or sugar and fat. Glucose and sugar, your fat, fast fuel. You can only store them for about four to six hours, the average person. And so you, that's why we have to eat every four to six hours, right? But fat is your storage container of calories. And then your body will dip into that when it doesn't have its fast fuel source. So your thyroid is the gland telling your body, okay, open up that fat and burn it. Let's get some fuel going. Um, it, it also uses that fuel. It's like it's the logs on the fire of your metabolism 
that burn to create your body temperature. So if your body temperature is running low, that would be another sign that you have a thyroid problem. So yeah, let me run through some of the symptoms that you might know you have a thyroid problem. It's not just lack of weight loss or difficulty or keto fail. Um, but you're cold all the time. Your body temperature isn't an oral 98.6 consistently in the morning, right? It might be a few points lower or even a whole degree lower. Um, and that's one of the ways you can know. Your hands and feet are always cold. You're the one always, ooh, is it cold in here or is it me? Constipation, hair loss, dry, brittle hair, skin, nails, um, skin aging, wrinkling. Um, I mean, you can get anxiety from low thyroid. You can get insomnia from low thyroid. You know, the, the gamut, it affects everything because when you think about it, it's telling, that hormone's going to all your cells, telling them how to utilize fuel to function. So if it's low, all your cells are kind of like, they don't want to get out of bed. Going, yeah, I, I can't do it today. So everything's sluggish. And when you see someone who's really low thyroid, I mean, sometimes their voice will even go down and they move slowly and they're just, oh, everything's an effort. So if you're having any of those additional symptoms, that needs to alert you that hmm, I could have a thyroid problem. Now, the issue is I see people all the time who say, no, I'm good, Dr. Kieran. I've been to my doctor. They checked my thyroid. They said it's great. <laughs> and I say, I don't believe you. First off, I want to see the tests they did. And I want to do the right tests. And I want to read them for optimal function. And I'd say 80% of the people I see who are having a weight problem, weight loss resistance, keto fail, and they say their doctor checked their thyroid and they're great. I check it and do the test, read them. They are low functioning thyroid. So that would be the first one. Um, and then insulin is a huge and neglected one. So most people will get as part of their quote unquote routine blood work, a fasting blood glucose. But the Normal reference range values for that at most labs like LabCorp is normal up to 99, which to me is just egregious because if if you're every point you are over 85 on your fasting morning blood sugar, you have a risk of 6% in the next 10 years being diagnosed with diabetes. So what this should tell you is that diabetes is not an event that you just wake up one morning and all of a sudden your body decides, oh, I'm going to be diabetic. And then you're not, most of us, type 2 diabetic because our parents were. We are on the road to diabetes for 5, 10, 20 or more years before we're diagnosed with diabetes. And our blood glucose is creeping up, 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 up. But the problem is that in mainstream medicine, we don't sound the alarm and say, hey, wake up, you're on the road to diabetes, which means, you know, kidney failure, and it means peripheral vascular disease and amputations, and it means heart attacks, and it means dementia, right? We don't say these things. And, and I find that when you do really give people a reality check about where they are, they can turn around and go back to normal before it's too late, before they've blown out all their islet cells in their pancreas and they can't make any insulin. So if you are having weight loss resistance, first thing, thyroid. Second, looking at your insulin and your fasting blood glucose. If you're over 85, sound the alarms. You've got to pay attention to that. But also get yourself a fasting insulin, and that needs to be less than eight. 
Now, it's not a perfect test. Sometimes you actually need to do, remember when if anyone's been pregnant before or your partner has, you have that glucose tolerance test. So some people might be still good in the fasting state with their insulin and glucose, but two hours later, they may demonstrate a problem. So we'll actually use glucose tolerance tests in non-pregnant people to get at that. And I also like people to look at their hemoglobin A1C, which your doctor's probably going to tell you, you don't need that. You're not diabetic. And if you can get them to do it, that's great. For optimal health, you want that number to be at least less than 5.2, but preferably 5.0. It's a measure of how much of glucose has been in your body on average over the past three months. And sometimes I'll see people who their fasting blood sugar is kind of, you know, 82 to 85. And I'll look at their A1C and their 5.6, which in some labs is considered pre-diabetic. And what I find that most doctors do, because this is what we were taught, is, oh, I hear people say this all the time. My doctor said, you know, my sugar's just a little elevated and we're going to watch it. And so essentially what is being done is people are being watched going down the road to diabetes but you don't have to have diabetes to have the complications of diabetes, right? That sticky heated sugar that was on a sticky bun that if I put on your shirt would damage it is now in your body. And that sticky heated sugar sticks on all your cells and damages them and causes inflammation, which is what causes aging and disease. And so you can turn that around. So I'd say that's the second thing to get. And then um, the third is the cortisol, which we've talked a little about. That is absolutely key. You've got to know what your cortisol is doing. And then your sex hormones. You've got three types of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And again, you can get a ballpark on those from blood tests. But really, the, the gold standard is salivary testing or even dried urine hormone testing, which is one of my favorites, because then we can look at how you're breaking down those hormones and detoxing them or not detoxing them. But those are the seven major metabolic drivers that if you're failing at keto, you're failing at weight loss, you're doing all the things, number one problem, you got a hormone imbalance, and these are the seven to look at. Well, I love how specific you are on some of these numbers because, you know, most of us, 12% of the U.S. is metabolically healthy. So if we're looking at, you know, LabCorp or whatever labs we get, you don't want to be <laughs> in the middle. You want to be, <laughs> you want to be, you want to, the goal is to get to the 12% the or 15% or whatever it is. You want to be optimized. And I, I think you made a, a great point that you just don't wake up one day and you have diabetes. It's a process that occurs over time and you need to track it and watch it. And diabetes leads to all sorts of things you don't want. And in this day and age with COVID, it, you know, it, it, it just, it, it's, 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 it's catastrophic. Yeah. And so I know it's hard to generalize, but if you had to generalize, like what are some of your tips out there for optimal hormonal balance? Like what should we all be doing? You know, if, if we want to take care of our, our hormones. I'd say number one is we need to be sleeping, right? <laughs> and I know it's just become so cliche and everyone's like, yeah, I know, I know, no, no, we need to be sleeping. Um, you know, there are certain um, activities that your body, 
undergoes when it's sleeping that it can't do any other time. So if you're not giving it the time that to really get that downtime, the, the deep brain waves that are healing, your bot, your brain detoxes when you sleep. And it really helps to restore your cortisol, which is the master hormone. I, I used to call it king cortisol, but I work primarily with women. So I said, why am I calling it king? So I started calling it queen cortisol. Uh, your cortisol is restored and nurtured when you sleep. So I would say that's number one, good, solid, restful sleep. And that really is one of the first things I do when I work with people one-on-one -on -one or in groups is I, you've got to do whatever it takes to get yourself solid night sleep. I prefer not using uh, prescription medications for that because that gives a disordered sleep pattern that doesn't give you those restorative brain waves um, and can create a more of a rebound insomnia that, that's a problem. Uh, but you got to sleep, I'd say, is number one. And then number two is you got to get off the blood sugar roller coaster. You know, you don't have to go on any crazy diet necessarily. And I know there's a lot of argument about food right now. Um, but you've got to get off the blood sugar roller coaster because like we talked about earlier, Jason, all those hormones are interrelated. And so when you're on what I call the blood sugar roller coaster, meaning you're eating too many of the wrong types of carbohydrates and your blood sugar is up and, you know, the standard American diet, the SAD diet starts with a carb fest in the morning, right? Orange juice, toast with jam and we're just jacking up Pop-Tarts, right? Jacking up our blood sugar. Well, what goes up come, must come down. And the faster it goes up, the faster it comes down. So your blood sugar goes up really high in the morning. Within two hours, you're crashing down. Well, every time it comes crashing down, you are, you may as well be punching yourself in the adrenals. You're dinging your cortisol, something severe. Because your cortisol is your survival hormone, right? It's your fight flight hormone. It's the thing that if you are being attacked by a tiger, you can run fast and fight that tiger. But it also is the thing that when your blood sugar goes too low, it says, oh my gosh, it sounds the alarms. We could die if our blood sugar goes too low, right? Your blood sugar has to be regulated in a very narrow range that is survival. If someone came and took all your glucose, you would die right away, right? So your cortisol comes in when your blood sugar starts going down after it's swung up after your orange juice and pancake breakfast with syrup and, <laughs> and sugar in your coffee. And then your cortisol sounds the alarm. And so you may not register this consciously, but some signs that you may be having that is if you get hangry, right? If you get shaky and you can't think and you get irritable and you're really hungry. Like I, when I weighed 243 pounds, I used to get so hungry by 11 o'clock in the morning and we would take lunch at noon that I would say I would, I would literally want to eat the wallpaper. So if you can identify with any of what I just said, you're on the blood sugar roller coaster, up, down, up, down. You're dinging your cortisol, your insulin's up and down. That means your cortisol is up and down. They pull on your thyroid. I call insulin, cortisol, and thyroid the three musketeers. So they're having a really tough time. Well, guess what? That then pulls on your sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Progesterone starts going down in something called pregnenolone steel because all these hormones 
are made in a cascade in your adrenals and in, in your gonads. Um, and so your body has to have cortisol at all costs. So it says, yeah, I don't need to reproduce. I don't need to have those hormones. They're extraneous, but I got to have cortisol and I'm going to have cortisol no matter what. So it starts pulling resources to make that cortisol. So your progesterone goes down. What do you experience? Painful, heavy, irregular periods, PMS, fibroids, endometriosis, breast cancer. And this really starts expanding in the 40s. It can start around 35. But in the 40s, you know, I, I've met some women, they say it's like my health is, is a, a dumpster fire. It's just like, what happened to me? Um, this is why. Because, you know, before then, we really do whatever we want with our health and our bodies are pretty resilient. But we're accruing these deficits with our cortisol and these hormone imbalances. And then here comes perimenopause and menopause. And we want to blame it all on that. What? Oh my gosh, this menopause is horrible. But there's some cultures, they don't even have a word for menopause because it's not a thing. They don't, yeah, they go through the same cessation of menses, but they don't have the pathologic menopause that we have. We have it because we ignore these cortisol and other hormone problems and we're all so out of balance with our lifestyle. And then we want to blame it all on menopause. But the truth is... Menopause is just the straw that broke the camel's back. So we got to look at all of these things. So what role does gut health play with regards to a healthy period and unwanted menopausal symptoms? Oh my gosh, it's everything. So really the gut is the center of your body and it is the center of your health figuratively. And I know when all my medical training, if, when people, I probably heard that before I learned about functional medicine and I thought, what are they talking about? You know, we're really taught in medicine that all the systems kind of function discreetly. They're not interrelated. And well, the gut's just to digest your health, but it's so much more. So most of us think that our biggest uh, interface with the external environment is our skin. But the truth is, it's our gut. And I know some people are going, what are you talking about, right? So if you take the lining of the gut from your mouth to your anus and you opened it up and you laid it out, it would be as big as two doubles tennis courts. That's the surface area of your gut. So your body has to defend itself against invasion from bacteria, viruses, parasites, chemicals, right? And so that's your immune system. It's your body's military. So your military is mostly aligned at your borders. And our biggest border is our gut. So our immune system is all along our gut from our mouth and our tonsils, all the way down to what's called GALT, gut associated lymphoid tissue that is in these little patches called Peyer's patches all along your intestines. And so they are intimately involved. And so you're taking the external environment when you eat, you're putting it into your mouth and you are basically digesting the external environment and creating it literally into yourself. So we don't have a more intimate relationship than this in our whole lives, not with our spouses, um, not with the babies that we birth. We are literally our environment and our most intimate connection is our gut and our immune system is lining it. 
So what does this have to do with the rest of your health? Well, we talked about cortisol being your stress hormone. Your adrenals are on top of your kidneys. They're intimately involved with your gut health and your lymph. They all work together. It's like a little nest triad. So your immune system, your cortisol are regulated by your gut function. And you have trillions of bacteria in there called the microbiome that, you know, scientists have wondered for years, why can humans have half the magnetic genetic material of an earthworm? Well, it's because we uploaded a lot of our genes into the cloud and the cloud is our microbiome. So if we don't have all these healthy bacteria in our gut, we're not getting the proper genetic information. We're not going to regulate properly. Our immune system's not going to function properly and our cortisol. So th this really is the seat of your health. It's like the driver's seat in your car. The, the seat of health is your adrenals, your gut, and your um, immune system. So you've got to be feeding the care and feeding of your microbiome. You've got to have enough of the right bacteria in the right amounts, giving the right information. You don't want abnormal ones. And your cortisol has to be balanced. And all of this gets to the immune system function. I, I didn't even mention the autonomic nervous system. That's another part of it that's intimately involved with this. So... As healthy as your gut is and your microbiome is, is how healthy your adrenals are going to be and your cortisol. It's how healthy your immune system's going to be. It's how healthy your skin's going to be. It's how good your brain's going to function and your mood and cognition are going to be, your skin, every other system in the body. So it all comes from that vital gut health. So what are some of your general tips for gut health and we have to talk about the immune system and, and some of your general tips to strengthen our immune resilience if you will yes that is a great point of conversation right now everybody's wanting to know what do i need to do so i don't get COVID, or if i get it it's not severe and my body can fight it and i think those are great questions and you know, there's been such argument. I saw this newscaster literally screaming on news. You cannot do anything to change your immune system function. And I thought, what insanity are we living with? Yes, you can. You know, there's so many things. I mean, and even just a recent study specifically looking at vitamin D when it comes to COVID came out. Yes, you can reduce your risk of getting and having a severe case of covid just with vitamin D. Um, so 25 hydroxy vitamin D is something you can get drawn and your regular doctor should do it. And most that's pretty standard of care. But when you get the results, you don't wanna go by what the lab says is normal. You really wanna be in that upper range that we've talked about. I like to see people 60 to 80 or even 100 on those values. But vitamin C we talked about for adrenal health, which means for immune health. You definitely need to be getting your vitamin C. There has been some controversy with COVID. Um, you know, can high levels of vitamin C contribute to cytokine storm? I'm not convinced of that. I'm taking plenty of vitamin C. Um, there are herbs that, anything that boosts your adrenals, so those herbs we talked about earlier are also going to help boost your immune system function. So ashwagandha, rhodiola, alutro, ginseng, right? Those are great. There are anti-inflammatory substances you can take like boswellia, curcumin, quercetin that are helpful. Um, and then there are some technologies that I love to teach people about that are so simple, they, 
they can do it in their house without buying anything or going anywhere. And those are things like the thermal therapies. So cold showers have been documented to elicit, increase natural killer cells in your body, which is a prime marker of your immune system function. So you could just start, you know, start with 30 seconds. 30 then, seconds. That seems like. <laughs> then work up to 60. Okay. And if you can get it up to three minutes as cold wow. as you can stand it. That's like the one thing I, I you know, I, I'll try anything. I just, I just can't do the cold showers and cold bath. I have bad memories of, you know, playing basketball in college. I've, you know, ice and sitting in the top. I just can't do it. But, can't but that's it. me. That's me. Maybe I'll give it a shot again. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a try. You, you will, you'll elicit that shiver response. You know, try it is all I can okay. say. Okay. I find it very energizing, and I hate cold. Also, it's one of the reasons I don't live in New York anymore. It, you know, <laughs> The temperatures in January, I just couldn't do it. Um, but the cold showers will increase your natural killer cells. If you can just do it, you know, at the end of your regular shower, just try it. I find it's much easier to do after a sauna or at the end of your regular warm shower. Just turn it on and just try. Um, so that's one thing. But then also heat therapies like hot baths and Epsom salt baths and far infrared sauna right? They also will improve your detox and your immune system function. And then something that I love, which I know that you love too, I heard the episode you did um, with the, the author of the, the book about breathing. Oh, James Nestor. Yeah. I love heart rate variability and I love breath work. And I, I love the technologies we have now that have made it so accessible to the everyday person. Um, and so you've got to start breathing deeply and more slowly and increasing that exhale. And this will speak directly to, so I like heart rate variability, biofeedback. There's an app called Elite HRV that I love. And I have all my patients use that. Um, and it, it has programs like resonance breathing, where you're basically taking very deep inhales to a full tidal volume and then a very slow exhale full tidal volume in through the nose out through the mouth and this directly activates your vagus nerve which is the master cranial nerve that innervates all of your internal organs including your digestive organs your heart and it has everything to do with your immune system function so this is a way you know the immune system is we have to tinker with it by tinkering with everything that is involved with it. Um, and so if you can get your vagus nerve functioning better, get better vagal tone by manipulating the breath, that's going to increase your immune system function. So you're getting it with diet also, you know, eating lots of plants, uh, dark green leafies, lots of colors of the rainbow, organic, of course. And then if you're eating animal protein, then you're going to be eating grass fed, organic, wild caught, all of those things that speaks to your immune system. That speaks to your nervous system, right? They, they have a, an energetic match. 
and then you're getting the sleep input, you're doing the cold showers and the warm therapies, the thermal therapies, you're doing the breath work, maybe you're taking some supplements to boost your um, adrenal function and your cortisol, maybe you want to add castor oil packs on your low back every night when you get in bed for 20 minutes to really speak to those adrenal glands and let them know they're loved and healthy. You know, if you're doing these things, you're really giving your immune system a, a fighting chance. So I'll, I'll close with the future and trends. You know, you mentioned uh, vitamin D. There's been a lot of encouraging research there with regards to vitamin D and, and COVID and recovery. Uh, you know, what's interesting to you right now? What are you watching? What do you think or hope we're going to be talking about in, in 2021 and beyond? I really think that the conversation has already started to deepen, Jason, and I'm hoping that it's going to continue to deepen around all the things that we can be doing in our daily lives that are simple, inexpensive, and accessible to improve our overall health and our immune system function. I think that COVID really has highlighted our vulnerability as a species. It's just ripped the, the denial off that we can continue eating the sad American diet and being fueled with coffee and basically ignoring all of these inputs that determine our health. And so now that we're in this vulnerable state and we're like, okay, we get it, we get it, we gotta be, we gotta, we gotta do better. I think people are really interested in, you know, what Mind Body Green offers and what I'm teaching and what all the people who do what we do teach simple things do deep breathing before you get out of bed every morning do a meditation practice add on three minutes of cold water at the end of your shower instead of going for the donut and the coffee make a different choice you know for your breakfast a high protein and good fat morning start to your morning um so I think that that conversation is going to deepen. I think research will deepen around specifically COVID, but there are other coronaviruses, um, not just uh, coronavirus, uh, not just COVID. Uh, so that we'll hopefully get more research about what is specific to this virus that could be virucidal and really help us get rid of it. Um, you know, I'm, I think we'll, we will develop a vaccine eventually, hopefully that will be safe and effective. Um, and then that's a whole other discussion, vaccines. <laughs> uh, but I think just really this focus on simple, practical, accessible tools that we can use in our everyday daily lives to improve our health. Amen. I love yeah. it. Well, Karen, thank you so much. We love all the great work you are doing in this world. And thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.